0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. You know, today is continuation. It's week three of the Daniel Dilemma. And so we talked two weeks ago. Pastor Trevor kicked this series off. And we were looking at the Old Testament prophet, the book of Daniel. And we were looking at in that first week, really out of Daniel chapter one, where King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they, they renamed these Hebrew boys. Now, there were more of them than just the ones that we had. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, I mean, you got their names. Like, there was a renaming. And he really challenged us with this thought that the enemy always tries to rename us. And some of us, we've been wearing the label of the new name that the enemy's tried to place on us for maybe a long, long time. And ultimately, we have to go by who God is calling us to be. That God has named us. God has proclaimed our future. And we've got to hold on to that, cling to that, and let go of every other tactic of the enemy to try to distort that truth. Last week, it was week two of four. But I told you it was also kind of week one of a little two-parter in the middle of this thing. And we looked at this idea of grace and truth. That there in Daniel 1, and then we moved a little further into the text. But in Daniel 1, where Daniel chose, he resolved not to defile himself, And then after resolving that, his posture before the the servant of the the king Nebuchadnezzar was really one of just asking permission. And we looked at this tension, this balance that we see in Jesus in John chapter 1 and we see in John chapter 8 and in other places, this balance of grace and truth. Like how do we be a people that stands for truth, but we do so with the grace that is modeled to us by Jesus Christ himself. And so today is part two of that little two-parter I told you in the middle, but it's part three of this story. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter three. If you've got a Bible, you can go there with me as we look at this idea of really standing firm. You know, as I was thinking about today and, and thinking about where the Lord would take us in this text, I was recognizing that the world we live in right now is a really unique place. Now, I don't say that like we are the first people in history to ever face anything like what we're facing right now. That is actually a distortion of the truth itself. Sometimes we become so self-centered and so self-absorbed that we think we're the first group of people that ever had to stand up for anything, that we're the first group of people that ever really had to face any trials and adversity. And, And what we said is that the book of Daniel is actually a great place for us to look for some understanding about how to do this, because this was not like a youth retreat that Daniel was on. Like, he was abducted he was pulled out ripped out of his country he was uh, the 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 the, uh, the things of his worship the the objects of his worship to his God Jehovah God were ripped out of the the places of worship and they were taken and put into another temple of, of other idols and and scholars have said that Daniel was castrated and like this was a big deal what we're reading here. And it shows us that there has been persecution and there has been adversity to people that stand for something throughout all of human history. So if we ever convince ourselves that we are the first people ever doing this or that we're living it in a a worse way perhaps, sometimes that actually causes us to feel better about ourselves or to see something about ourselves that isn't true. We are a part of the narrative and the story of God that he's writing throughout history and every single generation has been called upon in their context of living to stand for what is right. And so I draw great I don't know, just strength from that to know that there were people before me who stood for what was right. There will be people after me, should the Lord not choose to come back in our lifetime. There will be people after us who have to stand for what is right in their context, in their generation, in their day. So, how do we stand firm? As we talked about last week, we want to do so the right way, but we also know that we do have to stand firm because there is a culture of compromise. And what's so interesting, and maybe you've thought this too, what's so interesting about the culture of compromise that we live in is that there's this incredible duality in that culture of compromise. That like, you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe until what you believe makes me feel bad about what I believe and now you can't believe what you believe anymore. There's this great tension and duality in this culture of compromise because everything seemingly is okay unless what you believe is not okay with me, and then it's not okay. And now there's this pressing in this kind of cancel culture idea. There's this pressing towards anyone who does anything that we disagree with. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things that need to be called out. There absolutely are in us and in others. But sometimes what happens Is that we create this false sense of, you know, everything's okay in the culture until now the focus is on one thing. And then everybody's attention is drawn to that one thing. It's this unbelievable tension within our culture right now. The other thing that I see within culture, and culture is this kind of ethereal thing. It's like this, you know, you can't really touch it and taste it, but it's like it's all around. It kind of permeates everything that we do, but within this culture is exactly what I described, this idea that there is no real absolute truth. And you hear people say that. I remember hearing that when I was even younger and they would say, there is no absolute truth. There, there's, there's your truth and there's my truth. And, but saying that there's no absolute truth is an absolute truth, which in and of itself negates the argument, right? So there's just this tension and this duality within culture. But I also think that there is a disadvantage that our generation, and I say that about anyone living, not necessarily in age right now, there is a tension within our generation that perhaps no other generation has had to face yet. And what that looks like is that if you just flash back 30 years ago, 50 years ago, for sure 100 years ago or beyond, if you wanted to make your opinion known, or if you wanted to stand for something and let others know about that, really your only choices were to tell those that were closest to you, like literally in proximity, like to, to shout it out, to say it out loud, and maybe your neighbor heard you or someone in the town square heard you or maybe the, the the reporter from the newspaper, he recorded your thoughts and perhaps it got picked up as word spread by that paper a few days later after it took time to print it or but now we are in a day when there's 24-hour news and access, and, and each of us perhaps has our own platform, right? We are our own news source, meaning that whatever opinion you have, whatever thoughts that you have, whatever you want to project to anyone, anywhere, you can post. You can, you can type it out. You can take a video, and perhaps once you post that, then someone else likes it or dislikes it or shares it and perhaps then it spreads even beyond the maybe a few dozen or a few hundred or even a few thousand people that are connected to you on these platforms. So here's what happens. And none of those things are evil. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. None of those things are evil. But what happens is what the culture has created and what those platforms create is that now more than ever, in wider degrees, you can be chastised for what you stand for And sometimes, not us, other people that we know might be standing for dumb stuff, right? Like we might actually be projecting some things that we don't actually care about. Now, here's what you need to know about me. I have an opinion about pretty much everything, right? So if you ask me, should I paint that wall blue or red? I've got a thought on that, but I don't care about that. Like, you paint it whatever color you want. Now, if you paint that wall, there's going to be issues. I'm talking about your house, right? You understand what I was saying? Like, the metaphor broke down pretty quick. But the idea being, I don't really care what decision you make about most things. But if you ask me my opinion, I've got an opinion about it. And in a conversation with two people, there's at least four opinions. I think I said that last week. I mean, because we're, we're so split in our thoughts and in our opinions about all of the various things But what has happened is because we have access to projecting those opinions, we think we're standing for something when we're not actually standing for anything. We're just spouting our opinions. And what happens is then that waters down when we actually stand for something. And the people around us, when they see those things, often they tune us out when we're standing for what we truly believe in because we have stood for something we don't actually believe in, we just have an opinion about. Do you understand what I'm saying? That would have been a good spot to amen me, but that's okay. You're not with me. You stayed up later than I did. All right, so let's go jump to the story. Daniel chapter 3. Let me just kind of fill you in on where we're at. King Nebuchadnezzar, who we met a few weeks ago, he's now set up this golden image, right? You know where we're going if you've been raised in children's church at any point in your life. He sets up this huge golden image, this golden idol. Here's what he says. When the music starts, you bow down. So the music starts, and everybody bows down except for a few folks. And now here's what we read beginning in chapter, uh, verse 12. Of Daniel chapter 3. There are certain Jews. This is a group of people that are now telling King Nebuchadnezzar what's happening. This is like the first picture of the cancel culture. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound, I'm going to give you another chance, he says. When you hear the sound of of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made, then we're well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Ooh, the arrogance right there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Underline that in your Bible right there. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, underline that too, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So these boys, standing before literally at that time in history, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, they stood up and they said, listen, not only did we not bow down the first time, standing before you as you threaten us with our lives, we will not bow down again. They were standing firm. They knew what they believed. If you go back to Daniel chapter 1, it all builds on it, right? These boys were a part of the, the group of people that did not defile themselves by what they would eat. They knew there was something about one little compromise that leads to another little compromise that leads to another little compromise that gets you to a place where you are now worshiping, giving your affection, giving your attention to something that you never would have chosen That's not where it starts. It doesn't start at bowing down. It starts with little compromises by consuming things and allowing things into our lives that we never would have said we would do at some point in our past. But once we do, it opens us up to more and more compromise if we're not careful. So they just stood. They said, we're not going to do it. And not only are we not going to do it, but listen, even if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow down because it's still wrong. Even if God doesn't choose to to bring us out of the punishment that we might face, we know this is right, so we're standing for what's right no matter what. If you stand, you've got to be willing to pay the price. You actually can't stand unless you're willing to pay the price of what that standing may cost you. It may cost you relationships. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you possessions. It may cost you a job. It may cost you some other things. But you got to know I'm willing to pay the price no matter what because I know this to be right. Last week we talked about this idea of being right and doing it the right way, right? Well, it really does start with with being right, not in a prideful arrogant way, but knowing like who is God and what is God calling me to. This is not just opinion. This is not just a thought that I have. This is right because it's right because it matches God's word. It matches the voice of God in my own heart and in my own life. And so I've got to know what is right before I can stand for what's right. And unfortunately for a lot of people right now, they're trying to stand for what's right without knowing what's right. We've got to get God's word into our hearts and into our lives. And in this season, maybe more than ever before in my life, I've got a a hunger for the word of God. And I would encourage you to kind of just dig into God's word. Get that that, that word of God into your heart and into your life so that when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, that still small voice begins to speak into your life. You know whether or not it lines up. You know, yeah, this this resonates with me. I can stand firm in that because I know exactly what's going to happen. here's, Here's what we know. You cannot make those decisions in the moment. you got to make those decisions in advance. You've got to know what you stand for and what you won't stand for before you ever hear the music start playing. Because in that moment, man, it's not just a middle school thing. Peer pressure and the pressure of other people and watching others and, and what you hear people saying about you and the threats and all... All of those things coming at you might cause you to bend a little bit in what you thought you might do if you ever got into a place like that. But if you know in advance what you believe and what you know to be right, that's when you know you can stand. And it sounds easy. It's like, absolutely, if I was standing out in the field and I heard the music playing and there's a golden image in front of me, I know I wouldn't bow. Most of the time in our lives, it doesn't look like a golden image. But what are those things? that are calling for our affection? Who are those people that are asking for our compromise? What are those places and sources that are pulling for our attention that if we're not careful, we find ourselves not in a standing up posture, but in a bowing down posture because we hadn't made up our mind before we got to that place and we heard the music start playing and it was too late. You gotta know in advance what you're gonna do. Let me show you another example of what I mean. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he dies. Transition now comes to the kingdom. And at the start of Daniel chapter six, there's a new guy in charge. His name is King Darius. You can actually read about him in a ton of history books, just like you can Nebuchadnezzar. It's it's like a really fascinating thing to take a history book and read it and take scripture and read it and see how they play with one another and how they just lay right over top of one another. So King Darius here in Daniel chapter six, he's in charge and he's reorganizing the kingdom. And this is what it says in the first five verses. It pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. This is, this is like governors. This is like regional leadership over the kingdom. And over them would be three high officials of whom Daniel was one. So as he's reorganizing, I'm pausing for a second. He sets up 120 like governors over the kingdom. And of those 120, then he puts like three officials over all 120. And of those three is one of those original Hebrew boys. So this is still Babylon. He says, hey, of all the kingdom, of, of, of all the things that we've got set up, I got 120 I'm putting in charge. And over those 120, I'm putting three. And of those three is Daniel, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And then the high officials and the satraps, they sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So let me summarize real quick. I know you're already tracking with the story. Darius takes reign. Darius has got it. He's like, I got 120. Over those 120 is three. One of those three is Daniel. But Daniel, because of the spirit of excellence that was inside of him, everything that he did was excellent. Darius noticed it. Not only did Darius notice it, but the other satraps noticed it in, in such a way that they wanted to try to get him removed from power. They did not want him to be in leadership. He had character and integrity. That's why it matters what you do on your job. That's why it matters how you conduct yourself at the ball field. Corey and I were at a game the other night, and I was wearing a Generations Church shirt. And that was one of the filters why I couldn't yell at the ref. Because I was like, that's going to reflect poorly on our church family. So I'm going to go take this off and come back and yell at that guy, right? I'm kidding. I did not do that. I did not do that. But y'all pray for me. The flesh is still really raising up. Okay, so, so it's like, no, no, no. It matters how you live. Like, we want to live like it matters because it actually matters. Like what you do, the spirit of excellence that lives on the inside of you should cause you to be the best employee at your company. It should cause you to be the best student in your class. It should cause you to be the best husband on your street, the best wife in your neighbor, because there's something that rises up inside of us that says, when I give myself wholly to God, there's something about the nature and character of God that as it continues to reshape and reform me, that people are like, man, there's something different about that guy. And I know that sounds so old school. And, no, no, no. There is something unique about spirit-empowered living, and other people notice it. They see it. And so Darius notices there's something powerful here in the life of Daniel. There's something that I want others to see. I'm going to put him over the entire kingdom. I'm going I'm to kind of move these other two out of the way, and all 120 and all of these other two, and everyone else in the kingdom is going to report to Daniel. We see this over and over in Scripture, Joseph, who was a guy that had a dream, he, he finds himself in all of these scenarios through no fault of his own. But every single time it says that the Lord was with him and he raised up because of the favor of God and the favor of man. And he was he was raised to power in Potiphar's house and he was raised to power in the prison and he was raised to power under Pharaoh. And so we see every single time that there's a spirit of excellence and there's a favor and blessing of God when we submit ourselves to God, when we're willing to stand for what's right and not compromise to try to get a leg up, to try to get a promotion to try to have other people think something about us that if we will stand for what's right, God will be honored through our lives. And God is the one that brings increase. God is the one that brings the favor that we're desiring to try to create on our own. So he had this excellent spirit about him. And the people noticed too. The leadership noticed, not just Darius. Darius really liked Daniel. But the other leaders were jealous. And so they decided we're gonna try to set a trap for him But Daniel had already decided how he was going to respond, and it was really just a continuation of all of the various things that he had continued to do. He had been faithful every single day. Everyday faithfulness isn't flashy, but it's effective. I believe that for so many of us, we want to stand when the music starts, but we haven't been standing on the days before. We've compromised at other places at the table and in other times in our lives. And we don't have the fortitude. We don't have the trust in God to be able to stand with that conviction that says, but even if he doesn't, because we haven't been living faithfully in the days of preparation before. Everyday faithfulness isn't flashy, but man, man, it's effective. So, quit seeking flashy and just be faithful, just day after day, day by day, just trusting God. Be faithful in the small things and see how God will respond. So, these other satraps, they convince King Darius, they kind of trick him to sign this executive order that anybody who brings any petition to any other source other than King Darius should be punished. And King Darius doesn't kind of recognize what they're trying to do. And so he he signs it and he says, absolutely, let's do this. It can't be repealed, it can't be revoked. And so in that moment, then they say, okay, well, there's this guy, Daniel. You know Daniel, the guy that you're just in love with and you keep putting over us? Okay, that guy, he's praying all the time to not you but this other God. And so, like, what you just said is that he's got to be punished for that. Well, immediately Darius realizes that's not what I was hoping to happen. Like, I really like Daniel, and so I don't want this to take place. And they're like, but you just said it couldn't be revoked and it couldn't be repealed. Darius is overwhelmed by this. It says that he he decides he's going to spend all day thinking about a plan to get Daniel out of this but he can't. And so Daniel is thrown into a lion's den, right? And and King Darius fasts all night long, hoping that Daniel is able to escape somehow. Look at this in verse 16 and then in 18, and I'm sorry, verse 10. Let's go to 10 first. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had opened the windows in the upper upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before God. As he had done previously. Now, there's two things right there that I told you to underline earlier in the text. I want you to underline the first part of verse 10 and the last part of verse 10. The first part of verse 10 is like, okay, here we go, let's go to war. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he knew exactly what he was doing, he was fully aware what he was standing up for. And then the last part of that verse says, just as he had done previously you know how to be faithful in the moment when you have modeled faithfulness before. You can trust God to show up in the moment you need him to show up when you've seen God show up in the moments before. How did David tell Saul he knew he would win in battle against Goliath? He said, because when I was out tending my father's sheep, when, when, a, when an animal would come, a, a lion and a tiger and a bear, oh my. He said, my God delivered me, not by my own strength, but by his strength. And so when I go out to fight this, like, little, this little guy, this little Philistine, this, not this giant, like God will deliver me. God will bring victory over this enemy. You can learn so much about God in seasons that seem like wasted preparation, but they are moments that convince you that when you need God, he's right there. My mom used to tell me this. When you get to the moment that you know that God is all you have, you discover that God is all you need. But some of us, we haven't been in that searching season. We haven't been asking God to be all that we need in moments that we're not convinced he's all we need because we're convinced we can do it ourselves. We're convinced that we are strong enough and we have enough charisma and enough skill and enough gifts. And so what happens? Daniel says, okay, has he signed the document? Has he done the thing? Okay, now we stand firm. Now we trust God to deliver us. And he just continued to do what he had always done. Daniel 16, then we're going to skip to 18, then we're going to skip to 20 out of, verse, out of chapter 6 right here. We're just talking about King Darius. This is what it says. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into a den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, it was something he had noticed, deliver you. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he slept uh, and, and sleep fled from him, skipping to verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, "O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? It's not enough to stand on the big days. It actually matters how you live every day. Darius knew because he watched, he noticed the faithfulness in Daniel's life. The satraps knew. That's why they were trying to trap him. I wear an Apple watch every now and then when I'm, when I'm preaching, it'll start like dictating back to me what I'm saying, and I have to like hit it really fast, and I, I have it on do not disturb. But every now and then my watch does the most annoying thing. I'll be sitting down, and it'll say, stand up. It's so annoying because if I wanted to stand up, I would have already done that. I have the ability to do that. It'll say, you've been sitting too long. Stand up. Can I say to you with all the love in my heart, for some of us, we've been sitting down too long. We've been sitting down too long. And if I can just sound like Siri in your life, it's time for you to stand up. But it's not just in the moments. I'm not talking about you're about to stand up and get thrown into the lion's den. I'm not telling you you're about to stand up and get thrown into a fiery furnace. I'm just saying for some of us, we have not chosen to be faithful every single day. And those little moments of compromise are going to compromise who we are. Stand up. It is worth it. What you stand for matters. So how do you do that? We're closing here, I promise. How do you do that? It really de- it's really determined by where your source is, where your anchor is. Hebrews chapter 6 in the New Testament, verse 19, it really challenges us with this thought. It says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. What is that hope? That hope is Jesus Christ. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. What is our life? What is your life anchored to? What is the source of strength? Is it trustworthy or is it fleeting? Does it change day by day? Does it change issue by issue? You don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were anchored by the hope of the power of God in their life? They looked at the most powerful man on the face of the earth and they said, listen, our God's going to deliver us from this. But even if he doesn't, there's an anchor of hope, a trustworthy source of confidence and strength that exists to say, even if he doesn't, we're still going to stand because that's what is right. Daniel waited. Daniel waited. I don't know why I giggle every time. Daniel waited till he signed the order. And then was like, all right, here we go. We're about to pick a fight. And he opens up the windows to be heard. But then he does exactly what he's been doing every single day. There was an anchor in his soul, a trustworthy source of confidence that he wasn't going to stop praying because somebody else said stop praying. He was going to keep praying because that's what you do you talk to the God that created us, the God that knows the end from the beginning, the God that can be trusted with our coming in and our going out, the Alpha and the Omega. I'm going to trust in that source of strength and that confidence that comes from being anchored in the hope of who he is. So what do you hope in? What are we anchored in? Where does the source of strength and confidence come for our lives? To be able to stand up for what is right. Not to just stand for opinion or the fleeting circumstances or conversations of the day. But to stand for what is eternal. Where does your hope come from? There's this story at the end of the Gospels that I love where Jesus is already resurrected and he's just kind of like showing up to people and freaking them out a little bit. And this is before the book of Acts. This is like right at the end of the book of Luke. Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And so you've got this incredible narrative that kind of continues from the end of the book of Luke into the book of Acts. And so In Luke chapter 24, as Jesus is appearing to these these people and freaking them out a little bit, one day there are two disciples, two men. They're unnamed, but they are walking. It says it's the road to Emmaus. They're walking to another location, and Jesus comes and starts walking with them. But he doesn't reveal himself to them. So there's a journey that takes place, and they don't even know that Jesus is with. The one that's caused them to feel a little more hopeless is actually walking with them. He has been resurrected. Like there's, there's reason to celebrate. There's reason for hope. And Jesus has asked them, like, why are you so sad? Why are you so downtrodden? Why does your face look like that? <laughs> and they said this in Luke 24. This is just the first three words of verse 21. We had hoped. If you keep reading what it says, it's like we had hoped. And this is the Jeremy paraphrase. We had hoped that, you know, Jesus was going to overthrow the government. Like, we're in bondage, and we're not in charge, and our people are not in charge, and you know, the political climate of the day is like really rough, and so Jesus has talked about all that new kingdom stuff, and man, we thought we knew what he meant, and we had hoped. Maybe if you were on that road to Emmaus, or I was, we might say, you know, we had hoped that we were going to get that job because it would mean more money, and then we could do some more things with more money and more possessions, and but we didn't get it, and we had prayed about it, and we're not really sure why we didn't get it. And, like, we just, we had hoped. I Maybe mean, if you're single in the room and you, you were walking on that road to Emmaus, you'd be like, you know I, I really have this desire to be married, and I thought it was going to happen, and I started dating, and I just, I, I had hoped. In this season, I, I had hoped. I don't know what you have hoped. But I think over the last 18 or 19 months, what we've determined is that our hopes have been exposed. What we put our hope in has been exposed. Because you know what the reality is? The anchor of Jesus Christ hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't changed. Scripture tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was the same in 2019 as he is in 2021 as he will be in 2022. So why are we so downtrodden? Why are we so upset? Why are we so sad? Because we're being persecuted? Because somebody disagrees with us? Because somebody came at us? Somebody said something to us? Well, I had hoped. I mean, I had, this is what I had hoped. You don't understand. I'm, I'm upset because I had hoped. No, no. But we had hoped in something fleeting. We had hoped in something temporary. Temporary. We had hoped in something that wasn't eternal. We had hoped in something that wasn't the sure and trustworthy anchor of our hope that was Jesus Christ. It was built on something else. And so when that something else gets pulled out from under us, we have no hope left. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't gone anywhere. He is still ever present in a time of need. And so all we have to do is cling to the hope that is a sure and trustworthy anchor for our souls. You want to stand for something? Absolutely, go ahead and give him praise. Absolutely, you want to do that. Listen, you want to stand for something? Don't stand for something fleeting. Don't stand for something that isn't eternal. Don't stand for something that's just an opinion that you don't actually care about and will be gone tomorrow. Stand for something that is sure and solid and trustworthy and matters for eternity. That is what we've been called to do. So here are four questions quickly before I close. Four questions. As we look at what we should stand for, the first of them is this Have I decided what I stand for? Have I decided in advance of the music playing that I will not bow? Have I decided in advance of the executive order that I'm still gonna pray? Have I decided that I won't go there and do that? Have I decided that I won't be in that relationship? Have I decided that I won't make that business decision no matter how much pressure comes? Have I decided what I will stand for based on the word of God? Have I decided in advance what I will stand for? Here's the second one. Is this a principle or is this a preference? A principle is something that's firm and solid and it comes from God's word. I'm I'm talking specifically about moral issues. I'm talking about right and wrong in the absolute truth of God. Or is this just my opinion? Is this just a preference? Is this just based on the present state of the economy? Is this just based on who's in the White House or who's in the mayor's office? or who's, Like, is this, just a, is this just a preference that I have? Or is this a principle? Is this something worth standing for? Which leads us to the third one. Is this temporary or eternal? What are the chances that if I stand for this, it's gonna change tomorrow anyway, and then I'm standing for something that doesn't even matter? I'm standing for something that doesn't even exist that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have opinions i've got opinions i've got thoughts i'm going to say those thoughts but the things that i'm going to contend for fight for are the things eternal and here's the fourth one where does my hope lie does my hope lie in a god that i trust can deliver me from a fiery furnace but even if he does not Does my hope lie in a God that I know will honor my faithfulness of prayer every day and relationship every day, but even if he does not and I'm thrown into the lion's den, he will clamp their mouths shut? Is my hope in a sure foundation, in a trustworthy anchor for my soul? Or is my hope in something that is fleeting? We are called as people of God to stand firm. We're called to love well. We talked about that last week, and I want us to love well, but I want us to stand for what is right. But my fear for so many of us, myself included, because I've got a lot of opinions, is that in our attempt to stand for everything, we're not actually standing for anything. We're being tossed to and fro. That the, the enemy has convinced us of so many things that aren't true. And the pressure of culture is compelling us to speak up for everything. And by the time we speak up for what truly matters, our voice is so watered down that no one is listening. This world needs the hope that you and I have if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's stand for what is right and true and noble. Let's be anchored in the trustworthy anchor of our soul, the hope of Jesus Christ. And when we do, we can be assured that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he delivered them from the furnace and he delivered them from the lion's den, he can deliver you too. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we conclude our time. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I'm not anchored because I'm not in relationship with him, and I need that to change today. I want to ask God to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive my sins, to change my eternity. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. According to Romans, I've fallen short of all of the things that are of God, but I want that to change today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I wanna stand firm. I wanna stand for what is right. I want my hope to be anchored in the right things and I wanna be able to stand for what is right. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I wanna pray for you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. God, we love you. And we thank you that people in this room, people watching online, they're committing themselves to you in greater ways. God, I pray for those who are not in relationship with you that God, you would forgive their sins and be the leader and Lord of their life from this moment forward. And God, I pray that you would help them to fall in love with you and to fall in love with your word and to read your word like never before, to put it on the inside of them so that they know what is right. And God, I pray that for every one of us. And God, I pray for all of us today that lifted our hand, hear the cry of our heart. We wanna stand firm. We wanna stand for what is right, And God, as we do so, would you deliver us? Would you be our strength? Would you be the champion of our lives, providing victory that we seek? God, we believe that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what your word tells us. And so we cling to that hope, that steady, confident, sure thing. You are a trustworthy anchor. Let our hope rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray.